Did you know one in five Americans live with a mental health problem? <laughs> that means unless you live in a cave, you know someone personally dealing with these issues. So join us and our special guests as we answer your questions, share real stories, and work to pull the curtain back on how stigma impacts our everyday lives and our communities. We believe that making a real impact happens best with candid conversations, laughter, and tears. We are your hosts, Jennifer Teague and Josh Moore, and this is Impact Stigma. Good morning, evening, or afternoon. Hi, how is everyone? How's it going? Going and going. Kind of bummed. I know. You were telling me. My Rhythm and Roots concert got canceled this weekend. I I go do it every year. I photograph it every year, and it's canceled. I have wanted to go see Rhythm and Roots for as long as I can remember, and I have never, ever been. So I'm really was hoping this year to get to go see it, and it's not going to happen. It's absolutely amazing. I think one of my favorite moments was watching Old Crow Medicine Show Mm. play Rocky Top. Ah, would have been so exciting. On State Street with 150,000 people lined up as far as you can see down State Street. And they, they come back out. It was an encore song. They had just finished Wagon Wheel. They got off, and people came on, and they were like, one more song, one more song. They came back, played two more, and they ended with Rocky Top. And that was the loudest I've ever heard anything <laughs> ever. Even at the UT football stadium? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, it was absolutely insane. They came out there and they rocked it out and it was just insane. And it's those moments I love, those those little bitty things you go out there and you photograph. And yeah. I got a really good pe- picture of a uh, catch. Oh, Black man. and white. Black and white. How he was like three feet above me. And I got him just like holding the mic with his little top hat he wears. And it was it was a good time. That's really cool. So and for all of you listeners out there, and um, Josh was awesome and pulled some of our stats up because, you know, we're wondering who's listening. Yeah. We have listeners all over the country. That is so great. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. Yeah. And um, spread the word. Keep spreading it. And I know I have a lot of friends and family who have decided to break down and actually listen to some of our podcasts and are really excited about them and we have a whole lot more to go so i'm really excited about what we're doing so and take a minute to hit that subscribe button definitely do that for sure well also i heard from you and it's not going to be the best conversation because i'm not great at talking about sports but i guess they're they're coming back in full whatever they're coming back in the swing of things so that's really great for a lot of people i know cicely said she's excited for the hockey hockey yes lots of hockey going on this summer I've always liked hockey. What did you like about hockey? Really? I like, I don't know. I like the, <laughs> I played soccer. So it's like soccer on the ice or something with a stick. And um, she I'll, likes the violence. Yeah, I guess. The violence is just awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, everybody's beating each other up. We're going to get in trouble for saying that on here. <laughs> That's okay. I just like the sport for some reason. It's fast paced and interesting. And mm-hmm. I also like, I like all sports, but if you ask me to tell you about them, I'll just look at you blankly and go, I just like it because I do. You just like to watch um, it. Yeah. For all of you guys out there listening, we're in Tennessee. So we're UT football fans, at least I am. Yeah, me too. And um, we're so, we're excited for college football to get started again here. And it smells kind of like fall outside, which is really great. With the record we had. Yeah. Saying that we're UT fans, we're really UT fans. Yeah, we really are. I mean, <laughs> you have to love somebody or love a football team a whole lot and stay with it to be fans, especially as I'm not going to say anything. Just I'm hoping for a much better season this year. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? I like that smile. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm like fake grinning from ear to ear, you guys. Okay. 
Well, as you all know, um, we are in September, and September is um, Suicide Prevention Month. It's also National Recovery Month, but today is National Suicide Prevention Day, you guys, and that is what we're talking about. So I just wanted to, you know, talk about it and let everybody know that, you know, suicide is definitely a, it can be a very taboo topic. I mean, we all know this is not something... This is not something we want to sit around and joke and laugh about, obviously. We do have fun on our podcast, but this can be a hard topic for people to talk about. And, um, you know, it's definitely important to me to get the message out for suicide and suicide prevention. And we are just really, really excited about our guest today. We want to introduce someone that I personally admire and have told her several times that I feel a little intimidated when I'm around her, just not because of any other reason except she's just awesome. So um, without further ado, I would like to welcome you, Miss Cicely Alves, to Impact Stigma. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, we're glad to have you. And why don't you tell our listeners out there what you do for Frontier Health? Yeah, so I started with Frontier Health when I was a baby. I was 25. So I've been here for 12 years. So in math language, I'm 37. (laughs) And I have worked a variety of roles. I've done case management with kids. I was a crisis therapist. I was director at the crisis stabilization unit. And now I am division director for specialty services. And specialty services are all the services that don't really make sense anywhere else except together. So that's like crisis and community justice liaisons. It's our victim services, which is domestic violence and sexual assault programming. It is our alcohol and drug residential treatment programs, Magnolia Ridge and Willow Ridge. And then Hope for Tennessee is our HOPWA programming ryan white hiv great yes you guys you don't understand this this woman does a lot and she is an incredible asset to uh frontier health so we're really glad to have her here well thank you she's also kind of a suicide prevention guru so we're also excited to have her here and and uh, share with us her personal experience and answer some of our questions and and help our listeners learn more about suicide prevention and make an impact so One of the things I wanted to clear up really quickly, and I'm going to read this like I always do to make sure I don't mess anything up, is we just want to make sure that we cover a few things. So because we are focusing on Suicide Prevention Month, and we will be talking about suicide specifically during this episode, before we begin, I would like to make sure that our listeners know that if you have someone in your life that may be dealing with thoughts of suicide, or you're inspired at any time during this podcast to reach out for help or feel triggered by this topic, please don't hesitate to call our 24-7 crisis hotline at 877-928-9062 or the 24-hour National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number at 1-800-273-8255. And someone will always be there to help you. Also, if you have been a past listener or or just today, then you know that we are all about candid and sometimes humorous conversations about stigma and that surrounds mental health and behavioral health issues. So please know this. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment for mental and behavioral health issues. If you need assistance, please visit Frontier Health website at FrontierHealth.org for more information. 
All right. Now, we are ready to get this big conversation started. So, Cicely, um, you and I have been talking recently, and you shared with me your personal experience um, with suicide. And I know this is a topic that needs to be heard for sure. So, if you would be so kind as to share with our listeners what you shared with me, please. Yeah, absolutely. So, it's been almost... I mean, it's been close to, I guess, 13, 14 years ago that a family member of mine, actually, he died by suicide, and um, he is my stepbrother. And so at the time, you know, none of us really kind of saw it coming, for lack of a better term. Um, He definitely had some different issues going on with him, substance abuse issues. There were probably some other co-occurring issues going on at the time, but you know, it happened around the holidays and kind of looking back at it in hindsight, you can kind of see the different things that were happening leading up to his actual death. And I try to be cognizant of saying that he died by suicide. So I think there's a lot of language issues when it comes to suicide. So I try to be careful about that because- I learned that today, by the way. Yeah. I mean, it's really important to think about. I mean, it's not like he committed a crime. So try to be careful about that language. But- I digress. So he ended his life. He um, had the substance abuse issues going on, but there were things kind of leading up to that. And, you know, I remember the morning I got the call, you know, of course, it happened in the middle of the night. Family, you know, got a call, a concerning call from uh, his girlfriend that something was wrong. And, you know, they went out to where he was at and he um, ended up ending his life at that time. Wow. So it was a pretty uh, profound experience. It was, uh, I'll never forget the morning waking up and getting that phone call and being woken up to that news. And I remember I was living uh, in Johnson City, which is where I'm at now. And (laughs) (laughs) so I'm living in Johnson City. I'm from Knoxville. So get the call. My aunt actually came and picked me up and took me back home and... You know, from there, just all the emotional roller coaster that comes with something like this happens. So, you know, I've talked about this before and, you know, I've experienced other, you know, death in my life. You know, I've had grandparents pass away, you know, things like that happen. And as tragic as that is, this was just such a unique experience emotionally for me, for everyone around me you know, you go through a range of emotions immediately, just anger and frustration and confusion. And for him, he had, you know, had this um, addiction, you know, he had tried to get put on some medication assisted treatment and denied that treatment. There were no other options presented before him. So just kind of went home And, you know, I'll never, none of us will never fully know all of the things that were going through his head, but that, you know, all these things kind of accumulated over time. And so that's kind of, you know, kind of looking back at all of that, you think about, you know, oh, you know, this was a red flag or that was a red flag or what could we have done differently? How could we have supported him differently? You know, there's all these different things you think about and... I don't know. It's just, it was a very odd time and it it kind of went on for years, the impact of that across the family. And I know it definitely, it takes a long time to recover from something like that. And I'll never fully know what, you know, my stepfather, you know, and, you know, my stepbrother's mother kind of experienced and his sister. I'll never fully 
experience what they experienced, but I could definitely see it happening around me and just right. the long-term impact from it. Well, you know, one thing that you and I mentioned, because we've talked, I always talk to everybody before we have guests, just because it's important to kind of get an idea of where everybody, you know, is in their, in their story and what we want to say and really how we want to, you know, make that impact. And one of the things you mentioned, and it's very important to me to talk about here, and I know Josh too, is, you know, you mentioned to me that it was difficult to talk about that and say this is the way he lost his life. And just to say the words that he died by suicide, because you said yourself, you know, you lose a grandparent, that's some natural type of loss. It still hurts, but it's a different kind of loss. You're, I lost both, all three of my grand, well, recently two grandparents. And, you know, I was glad for their pain to go away. And I miss them desperately, and especially during the holidays. But I'm glad that they're where they are now together, you know. And to lose someone abruptly without expecting it this way, you know, and then trying to talk to people and tell them how to deal with it, I'm sure, is very hard. So would you elaborate on that a little bit? So when he uh, died, when he passed away, you know, it's kind of a weird situation to have to talk to somebody about because when they ask you, well, how did he die, it doesn't necessarily feel good, especially then at the time, to say, well, he died by suicide. There is, like you said, it's a taboo t- subject. It's yeah. There's a lot of stigma attached to the subject of suicide still there probably will be for a long time it's so ingratiated in our culture and cultures across the world about that and so I really had a tough time trying to articulate to people exactly what happened because it's not necessarily a simple black and white answer well he died by suicide and that's what happened well yeah (laughs) so you know it's such a complicated issue So it's just like with any other illness, really, if you think about it. I mean, you can have complications from your addiction or depression or diabetes or heart disease. And there are all these things that happen when you have something going on with an illness. And so it's not as simple as, well, he died by suicide. It's, It's more complicated than that. Yep. Right. And I think that's the hard thing is articulating that to people. You know, I can articulate it now. I I probably do it a little more (laughs) clinically just because of the nature of just my training and my job, but it's easier to talk about now. But at the time, it's something I really did not feel comfortable with. It's something that, you know, when you, when I did talk about it, I just felt like this thing would wash over people and right, they right. would kind of shut down. And then it's like, I don't want to burden you with this. So I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah. And so that's kind of the experience I started having. And like so, a wall, just like there's a big like yeah. a wall. Uh, I mean, you can read people pretty well. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's like, okay, they're not feeling this at all right now. So that's when a good therapist comes into play. So then you right. can process all of that out with them and your emotions and your anger and you know, how do I cope with these emotions that I'm going through? Because, you know, I know we had talked about, you know, is it a selfish act? I don't think it's a selfish act. I think this person's got an illness going on and illness is what caused their death. That's what led up to their death. And that's really hard for people to wrap their brains around. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just just something that, you know, emotionally at the time, I remember I would write a lot and I would sit there and just write about it and think about him and try to like remember him and what was what was our relationship like and then just kind of went backwards in time. And I I do remember I got a a phone call from him and it was 
maybe two months before he died. And I didn't think about it at the time, but it, you know, it was a weird phone call. It was kind of a goodbye phone call. Oh, wow. And so I, I didn't realize that until much later. And I started thinking about it and I was like, oh, that's what that was about. I understand now what that phone call was about. And so I guess all of those things combined led me down this path of just thinking about this from a whole new perspective and breaking it down. And how can I relate this back to the work that I do and how I talk to people about suicide prevention? Right, exactly. I just think the biggest thing that, you know, we want to be able to say is, at least coming from me, I mean, I'm, you know, I say all the time, I'm not an expert, but, you know, I, I do have some personal experience with that, too, that I won't get too much deep into because it's not really my place. But I remember a person in my life saying that they just, they felt like they were looking down a black abyss. They didn't have anywhere to turn and they didn't have anyone to ask and no one around them made them feel safe enough to ask for help. And I know there's people out there that suffer in the same place in the same mindset so you know you know going back you mentioned it was how many years ago that he it's been it's been more than 10 years ago okay so that obviously there's different things available now than there were back then but did he mention anything about that did anybody talk to him about that or did he just stay silent you know we knew that that happened but really we didn't know where to go with that we don't know at the time I had no idea at the time you know what do I do with this information like I don't know how to access help for you uh in Knoxville and you know I think now about all the campaigns that are out there I mean I see something for substance abuse treatment free programs for people suicide awareness I see something all the time geared towards that and I just don't remember seeing something like that all the time it was well, we're a middle-class family. This kind of thing's not really supposed to happen to us, so I right. not something I really need to worry about. That's and, right. I mean, that's just the mentality. And that's part of the stigma. That's part of the stigma. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so I know when I talk to people, I'm like, it very well can happen to you. It does not matter. Hello, everyone. Like what you're hearing so far? Well, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button right now. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you, and we greatly appreciate your support. So let's get back to the show. Thank you so much, Cicely, for your openness and vulnerability while you shared your personal experience with us about your stepbrother. Suicide is certainly a topic that is considered very taboo even today, like I said. And I just really like the fact that your story brings such an important aspect to how suicide affects those that are left behind. So I have a question. Before we really get into your expertise on suicide prevention, I know after our conversation that you have some interesting ideas about what how you feel about stigma so I would just love to hear what your definition of stigma is and how would you explain what it does to those affected sure so the best way I know how to articulate what stigma is it's essentially group shaming so it is basically looking at a group of people and deciding well these are moral failings that you have we've decided in this normative society that you know, mental illness or addiction or suicide is, is bad and you're bad. And therefore we are going to stigmatize you and put you on a little Island and we don't know how to deal with you and we don't want to deal with you. Mm -hmm. And so that's basically how I look at stigma. Thank you. I like that. Very candid. And I agree 100%. 
All right, sure. so, so I got a question now. Okay. My turn. I got a question. <laughs> Go, Josh. <laughs> what would you say the most significant misconception about individuals at risk for committing suicide? I would think that that thinking that somehow you or your family member will never, ever experience thoughts of suicide or that this would never happen to you and your family mm-hmm. because it happens to everybody. Right. There is no you know, race, creed. There is no religion. There is no individual person out there who does not have this risk of happening in their life. It does not matter your socioeconomic status or where you're coming from. It can happen to anyone, even the most happy, cheerful, I've got it together person. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. So I just want to know kind of more based on your experience and knowledge, what would you want our listeners to hear today in regard to how suicidal ideations and help seeking are affected by stigma? Well, what happens, especially if you talk about it within your own family and there's that stigma within your own family that you're right. really discouraged from talking about it. Right. It's yeah. pretty It's pretty clear in your own home whether or not the people around you think that this is an actual thing. Would you think that's probably the norm? I, I mean, hope not. I know, but I mean. <laughs> I think it's probably more of the norm than we'd like to admit. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. today I see a lot more people talking openly about things, but maybe it was a generational thing as opposed, I mean, I know. You, you know, not we didn't about talk it. about that in my family, and there's nothing wrong with my family. We just didn't talk about that. It wasn't something that anybody really were, was allowed to talk about. Right. Right. And it's just not, it's not, there's no magic pill or treatment that's going to fix it. You yeah. have to utilize some form of talk therapy. Something else has to happen. And, you know, going to the doctor regularly or for a wellness check or going and to the doctor for a regular health issue is so commonplace. Mm -hmm. But going to see the psychiatrist or therapist is not something that anybody's really going to talk about very openly. Okay, so looking back on what you talked about with your stepbrother's death, what would you say were the warning signs? Could you see them? Yeah, I, I think that, bottom line, anybody with a substance abuse problem, that's that's in and of itself going to be a red flag, especially mm-hmm. if that person's really struggling with relapse issues. If they're sober and then they relapse, that's a, that's a huge warning sign. Someone who's help-seeking but not receiving help, that is, that is the cry right there. Yeah. So if somebody is crying out for help and actively looking for a way and a solution and those solutions are denied, then that person's likely going to start being helpless and mm-hmm. hopeless about the situation. You know, making that phone call to me, an odd, out-of-the-nowhere phone call, that was definitely a, a red flag as well. And there's probably other little things that happen. I feel like maybe he was having conversations with his girlfriend at the time because she's the one who made the call. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that maybe there were some conversations that we weren't privy to of those feelings. And so, you know, there's so many different things that could be going on that somebody is crying out. But if somebody's actively seeking help, find a way to get that person help. Absolutely. Bottom line. A lot of people say, and I'm going to, you know, kind of go on what to kind of like add to what you were saying. I know a lot of people say, well, if someone threatens, you know, to commit suicide or to die by suicide or however, I'm trying to learn new language. You're doing good. I'm practicing. I just learned this today. So I'm really trying to. Acknowledging it, it is key. It was such a brilliant thing. And it's going to be uh, something we talk about here. And then we have another guest coming. And this is a surprise. I'll tell you all later. 
but um, I'm excited. And it's, it's something that I'm trying so hard. I love the whole idea of, you know, changing the way we speak about things. I know our last podcast, we had Polly Jessen on, and we talked about changing the way you speak about things. And the one before that with Krista Johnson, and we talked, talked about, about ways, you right. know, the same thing, how we speak about things. So I, I like the way we're talking about this. I think it's part of the biggest way we make that impact, the stigma. So I just, you know, I think how, how can we tell our listeners to speak about it with their family members and talk to them and be open about it and, and give them a few words to not, I don't know, feel awkward? Mm-hmm. How can we take away that awkward feeling? Right. And so I think the word you used earlier was vulnerability. And I think yeah. we need to do a better job of being vulnerable in front of our friends and family. So if I talk about my emotions and how I'm feeling and I'm having a hard time with, which I'm going to say I am terrible at. So that being said, I think we all need to work on that. And if we create an environment where we are able to talk about our own stuff and be candid with others, then that in and of itself is going to create a safe space or opportunity for people to say, oh, well, if she's willing to talk about this right now, then maybe I can also talk about this as well. Right. And the more we're open about it, that that is a that's a really important piece of it. But Absolutely. we're not very good at that. No. So that brings a question around for me again. And this one is, is it safe to ask? You know, there are lots of myths about suicide. One in particular is that you if you ask someone if they're thinking about hurting themselves, that it can actually increase the dangers of suicide. Is it safe to ask that? Yes, it is safe to ask that question because the person, first of all, if you're at the point where you're asking the person the question, then they're probably thinking about it. There's a good chance that they're thinking about it. And if somebody hasn't thought about suicide, then that means that maybe they're thinking about other options for themselves other than suicide, which is a good thing. What happens with people when they're experiencing suicidal ideation is you kind of get this tunnel vision and you're not thinking clearly and you're not problem solving. So if suicide hasn't crossed your mind and if I ask you the question, have you thought about suicide and you say no, that's not going to necessarily be the next best option because maybe they're still thinking about other things and then you can have a conversation about that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, cool. That's great. Thank you for that answer. And, um, you know, one thing, I'm going to stay on this and then I'm going to ask my second question. But I have kids and I have teenage kids. I don't look at my children, you know, it's hard for me because I think they're perfect. They're not perfect. They're, they're kids, but they're perfect for me, you know, and I know they've gone through some things. So, you know, for moms and dads out there, it's a little bit different because it's talking about youth, but I'm going to say, you know, there's myths out there for, and problems with youth too. You know, it's safe to talk about this with your kids too, even if they may just be doing what I call the you know, the, oh, I don't want to be, don't bother me. I don't want to be bothered. I'm going to stay in my room. And, and, you know, I'm going through that kind of, I guess, pubescent Mm -hmm. transformation where they want to, you know, spread their wings and pull away and and they seem so distant. And it's hard for parents to feel like that because you kind of mistake that are they depressed or are they just doing that pull away thing? So you're telling me it's okay for our parents and for our families out there to ask if they have any kind of idea whatsoever, just, just to have that discussion that's safe. Yes, okay. I think that is a safe I thing to, to clear ask. That up because I'm, <laughs> as a mom, I know there's moms out there listening to us, and we talk about adult stuff sometimes. But I wanted to make sure we included, you know, the kids too. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to look at balance in people's lives. So right. yes, it's normal for a teenager to 
be by themselves in their room doing their thing, but at some point they have to come out and emerge and maybe have some sort of emotion. So if that (laughs) never happens, then maybe forcing it, (laughs) forcing the conversation (laughs) is to maybe get to that point. But I mean, balance is key for all of us, no matter what age we are. Absolutely. All right. So here's my, my actual question that I wanted to ask you. And this has to do with our talk yesterday. And we were just talking and kind of going over what we were going to, how we were going to approach this podcast. And you mentioned something to me that I thought was very interesting the way you put it. So I wanted to see if we could kind of dip into it just a little bit more. And you just kind of mentioned to me how suicidal ideations that do lead to death by suicide, you know, follow kind of a bell curve. And I love the idea of bell curves from school and everything, but can you help our listeners understand what that actually means? Yes. So I'll relate it back to my story, right? Perfect. So we think about the bell curve, can nerd out here for just a second. Please do. I love that. I could could go into professor mode for sure. So if you think about, if I go back in time here and I look at the situation and say, okay, so obviously there's an addiction problem going on. Okay. Now financially what's happening with this individual? Maybe they're running out of finances. They're not working. They're, um, you know, they're in a relationship. Maybe the relationship isn't that great. Maybe they're afraid that, okay, I've gone so far down this road that I won't be able to have the job that I want someday. Maybe I'm, I'm, it's done for me. Or, you know, okay, now I'm at the point where I'm trying to get help and I'm not able to access the help that I need. And it just keeps going, 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 going up at this hill. And then finally, there's this one thing that occurs typically, you know, there's gonna be that last trigger point. And it's just like snap of the fingers. I can't take this anymore. Right. And that could be just really bad news. I mean, it could be a breakup, especially think about teenagers. Teenagers don't have frontal lobe development yet. And basically what that means is their decision making is terrible and their impulsivity is through the roof. So keep that in mind. That goes on until well into your 20s. Right. So anyway, that is what happens. And so that thing will occur at the top of that bell curve, and then that's when the incident could happen. And when they've gone back and they've researched this, uh, Paul Quinette is the researcher that I really like. He's developed, he developed question, persuade, refer. I'm stealing this from him. And he went back with his team and interviewed people who had actually survived a suicide attempt. And when they asked the question, how much time actually went by from the moment you decided to the act of actually attempting, and it was within minutes that they made that decision. And that is the most important thing to think about when it comes to people who are extremely vulnerable and having a hard time. And, you know, you remember those stress tests that you would take in school, check all the thousand boxes. And so you think about that, like the more little boxes that are checked and the more risk factor somebody has, that's, that's just further, further, further up that bell curve. And then the incident happens. Right. So what would you tell somebody uh, who's going through what you're going through, what you would went through? I, I would definitely say that it's really important to process your grief and to read about how to process your grief and to work through whatever emotions you have internally about suicide, especially, uh, I think that, I mean, clearly I had some definite issues or feelings, whatever we want to call that, when it came to just the concept of suicide. And all of us do because of the way 
the stigma and the taboo of it is. I mean, that's just how we've all, a lot of us have grown up and that's the families we're around. And so in the movies, in the movies, everything, I mean, all of it. And so it's okay to like work through those issues and process it with somebody and seek out friends or family, or maybe, uh, you know, an an important minister in your life or a therapist, whomever it is. I'm going to plug therapy every single time, I think. Yeah, definitely. Two years for me, and it was, uh, like I said, it changed my perspective and my mindset tremendously. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be scary. No one's going to dissect you apart. They're just going to help you talk through your emotions. It's okay. It was really, (laughs) I remember going and being in a really, I mean, I'm talked a little bit about it before but you know I went through a bad divorce and blah 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 but anyway I random I needed to be there and I thought I was terrified I didn't want to talk to her you know oh my gosh she's gonna size me up in three minutes and tell me what was wrong with me and tell me everything you know and that's very overwhelming but it wasn't like that no we just had a conversation and it was great yeah it's you know I'm a clinician by trade and it's I honestly don't have the mental energy to sit there and dissect anybody no I really don't I'm not interested in that best part was she wasn't allowed to tell anybody anything. Exactly. Right. Yep. And for many people, you know, and I kind of circle back to something you had mentioned earlier, it's just having the supportive or the appropriate people in your life. And if there is absolutely no one that you can go to to talk about your issues, then reach out for therapy. Yes. It's, some people don't have that in their family. And that, you know, that is what it is. That's right. And there's options. And that's what we do here. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, a plug for Frontier Health is... That's what we do. So you definitely can find somebody great here for sure. Um, one of the most important questions that I want to ask you, and we discussed, and you said for sure, 100%, that it, especially because, you know, it being Suicide Prevention Month, and I'm going to quote you on this, and you said that you can't talk about suicide prevention without addressing the reduction or restrictions of access to means of suicide. So I know this is extremely important and a little scary, but can you please... Um, share with our listeners what it is and why it's so important. Yes. So I will do a little back story here. So thinking about someone who is, you know, going through some issues of depression, anxiety, they've got financial issues. I mean, right now in and of itself is an extremely stressful time for people, period. So, you know, there's a pandemic. So uh, people are stressed out and on edge. So that in and of itself is one thing. But when you have someone who's got all these other comorbid issues going on, so, you know, financial stressors, you know, they've had their kids for, you know, months and months and months. They, you know, there's all these things that are happening in their life. And maybe they have had a moment where it's like, all right, I can't do this anymore and I need some help and I need, I need to do something now. Like I right. need to talk to a therapist. And so when anybody in, any, in your life gets to the point where I need some help and I need help from somebody else other than me, maybe I need to talk to a therapist, I need to see a psychiatrist, something like that. If they have an incident where they've gone into crisis mode, especially, that is the moment that means restriction, that conversation has to happen. Because if you're at the point where... I am struggling to think about things or problem solve or whatever it is that it might be, then the the idea is to remove anything that someone could use to actually end their own life. And if, if you know anyone who has actually experienced a crisis, maybe they went inpatient or started seeing a therapist and they're really struggling. And you know when somebody's really struggling in your life. Absolutely. I mean, it's pretty clear. And you know, there is so much research to say that, you know, 30, 45 days after that initial 
moment of crisis or I need help now, that is when you need to really implement maintenance restriction. So I like to say the little 30 to 45 days because it's a rough estimate. Maybe it's longer, maybe it's less because I don't want to scare people away from means restriction. But all that really means is limiting or getting you know rid of access to what people used in their life. And so, you know, that's weapons, that's guns, that's medications, that's locking those things away so the person doesn't have uh, access to that. Right. And, you know, as I said, when we talked about the fun bell curve, when people get to that point and that trigger happens, and that trigger could be anything. And we'll, Absolutely we'll anything. never know yeah. what that might be for somebody. I mean, it could be watching something on the news. You never know. Yeah. And so... Like I said, you know, there's a small window of minutes of time. And so if you remove that access, they, it's going to be a lot harder for them to actually end their life, which means that you're buying time for them to think and right. to make a phone call. And so the most lethal means is using a gun that's instantaneous. And so yeah. if you medication, you can change your mind. You can make a phone call. You know, and we're seeing more and more people, you know, especially in our state, the majority of actual suicide deaths, that's with a gun in the home. And that's across the board for all ages. And right. the scariest statistic that I have uh, is in Tennessee, 60% of teenagers, teenagers meaning like from 12 and up, essentially, they used a weapon in their home to end their life. They used a gun in the house that they had access to. Yeah. And I try to always say, you know, I don't want to scare people. And this is you know, having guns is not, I mean, I don't, whatever, that's fine. People hunt and that's how people, yeah. you know, survive. And that's fine. I, I'm, I come from a family of people who hunt. It's all good. Same here. So I mean, it's, it's all right, but it's very temporary and it, you know, it's important to have those conversations and we've had those conversations all the time with people. When I was at CSU, I know we had those conversations with every single client and everybody was really receptive. No one really got that upset about it. Yeah. And we pass out gun locks to people and we encourage that and we, you know, hope people will do the right thing. Absolutely. And I mean, like I said, I'm, I know it's kind of a, it can be a touchy subject, but obviously we're not here to, we're not talking about, you know, yes, have one, don't have one. We're talking about safety and keeping yeah. people safe. It's just, it's a temporary right. solution mm -hmm. to a, right. a problem. All right, Cicely. So I just have one last question for you. What is the one thing out of this entire podcast and all of the message that you want our listeners to take away from this conversation? That it's okay to not know the answers and that it's really important to just re reach out and ask for some help. Absolutely. Even if it's for yourself or somebody else, just ask for help. Absolutely. That's great. Thank you so much. And Thank you all for joining us today on Impact Stigma, and thank you, Cicely, for sharing your time and your expertise with us, as well as letting your guard down and talking with us about your experience with this difficult, difficult topic. Yeah. So we just want to say thank you very much for being here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Stigma can make mental health problems worse and even stop a person from getting the help they need. Untreated mental illness places an enormous economic and emotional burden on our communities. Economic burden alone is in the billions, and that directly affects all of us. We all play a crucial role in creating a mentally healthy community, one that is inclusive, rejects discrimination, and supports recovery. For us at Impact Stigma, this is way more than just a podcast. It is about igniting our communities, sharing our stories, and working together with listeners like you. 
We invite you to find out more about Impact Stigma on our website at impactstigma.com. One way you can make an impact right now is by sharing our podcast with your friends and family because you never know when something we talk about might be the reason someone you love asks for help. Mental illness is not a personal failure. We can't do this without you. So if you feel inspired to get involved, first, subscribe to this podcast. Then go visit our website at impactstigma.com. Watch the video and read about how you can become an impact maker. Thank you for listening to Impact Stigma. You're so glad you chose us. We want to thank our guests again for sharing your impactful story and doing your part to Impact Stigma. Join us next time as we enjoy some laughs and hear impactful stories. Until then, this work needs you. So go be an impact maker. Thank you and be blessed.